Archiver is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. I've decided to play lots of music in this episode. I think it's the best way to get from war to war to war. And nothing says World War I like Over There by George M. Cohan. We start in 1918, the end of the First World War, because the way America treated those veterans would forever change the way the country takes care of its soldiers, sailors, and Marines. Make no mistake, it would take decades, plus lots of pain and suffering to do the right thing, but it happened. And wouldn't you know it? It took a Kansan to get it done. The podcast is Archiver. The episode, G.I. Joe from Kansas, me. I'm your host, Sam Zeff. The man who vastly improved the way America treats its veterans is Harry Colmery, a distinguished-looking fellow who studied law at the University of Pittsburgh in his native Pennsylvania. His law career was interrupted by World War I, where he served in the Army Air Service as an instructor and a pursuit pilot. After the war, Colmery settled in Topeka to practice with John S. Dean, a politically connected lawyer who was active in Republican politics and a progressive. Dean, and how odd is this, Archiver fans, was also part of the legal team that helped strip goat gland doctor John Brinkley of his medical license in 1936. But back to Colmery. He was lucky. He had a profession and a job after the war. This wasn't the case for millions of veterans who fought in trenches in France and Belgium. The government promised them future bonuses, but the Great Depression made the vets desperate for the money right away. So, in 1932, they descended on Washington and marched to the Capitol. On July 28th, it boiled over. This is from a British Pathé newsreel. By July, an estimated 10,000 men had assembled in the shadow of the Great Capitol Dome. As their ranks swelled to 17,000, they overpoured the Capitol steps. They waited anxiously for the result of the Senate meeting, then in session, which was to determine whether vets would be paid immediately or whether their desperate march had failed. The answer came from a government grown increasingly wary of what was termed mob rule. That answer, tempered by a dwindling treasury, was a blunt no. Most veterans left Washington in defeat, but others stayed on. They built a city of tar paper shanties on Anacostia Flats near the Capitol and refused to move. Here on this broad sweep of Washington real estate had risen a community of malcontent which housed over 2,000 veterans and their families. By some opponents, it was likened to a weed in the front lawn of democracy. On July 28th, President Hoover ordered government troops to pluck it out. The destruction of Anacostia Flats, raising a wave of bitter controversy, marked the end of the Veterans' Bonus Army. But it had etched its name in flames among the milestones of the century. Etched its name in flames. The Bonus Army was attacked by 200 cavalry troops with sabers drawn and 400 infantrymen with bayonets fixed. They were led by General Douglas MacArthur. For Harry Colmery back in Topeka, this was too much to take. 
In between wars, he had already worked to change regulations so service members could be treated at veterans' hospitals for non-service-related problems. Then World War II started, and millions more men and women would join the military, and the Andrews sisters would be all over the radio. This time, though, Harry Colmery was going to make sure veterans would come home to what we would now call a safety net. Colmery and others from the American Legion designed and Congress passed the Serviceman's Readjustment Act of 1944. We know it as the GI Bill of Rights. What about this time, Max? Are these Navy boys going to get the same sort of deal? What about this man who's fought the long, tough fight up Italy and has been knocked out? What's going to happen to him? Is it going to be the same for these GIs hitting the beach at Saipan? Or the Siegfried Line, or the Gothic Line, or any line that's needed hitting? When it's all over, is it going to be like last time for them? No, this time it's going to be different. Yeah? What makes you so sure? Because in Washington, there were a group of congressmen with long memories who were in the last war. They knew that when a man gets out of the Army or Navy or Marine, he's worried most about a job, an education, and a home. And that's why Congress, led by the president, passed the law. The Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, better known as the G.I. Bill of Rights. He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B. That's a film from the Army-Navy screen magazine called the G.I. Bill of Rights. Now, the Roosevelt administration was worried that America would plunge right back into a depression when the war ended. That's why FDR and Congress passed the G.I. Bill. Archiver historian Virgil Dean, he says Comrie is one of those few people who truly changed the course of America. Yeah, Harry Comrie and the uh, people he was involved with in the American Legion and uh, many people in the, the federal government who began to worry about what was going to happen with all these GIs when they came home from service in World War II uh, and came up with a plan of uh, support for them, uh, aid to go to college, housing loans, and so forth, were, you know, all of those people would be uh, involved. And, and Colmery was one of the, the primary movers in that. And the American Legion uh, come up came up with an outline for a plan that would would implement a policy that certainly would have a, a long-range impact on the country. Immediately after the war, with the increase in numbers of the enrollment numbers at universities and colleges, uh, tremendous boom, and then long-term because of the implications of you know what that would mean, what that education would mean in the years following. I mean, it was uh, it was a, an amazing spike at both the University of Kansas, and at Kansas State. Yeah, you're talking about more than doubling the enrollment in Lawrence between at KU between the fall of 1945 and the spring of 1946. It's just a tremendous growth. And similar, not quite as great, but similar uh, to a certain extent at K-State and all the other uh, schools around. It not only shaped, it seems to me, that generation that fought in World War II, Bob Dole, for example, uh, mm-hmm. Goes back to college, goes to law school on the uh, on the GI Bill. Any number mm-hmm. of people who've served in the Congress and in elected positions uh, uh, have taken advantage of that. But not just that generation. Uh, it seems to me that it maybe set the tone that now it's more common, it's more expected, mm-hmm. uh, it's now a norm uh, that you're uh, in some families that you're going to go to college because your father, your grandfather, great grandfather, maybe. Uh, 
went to school on the GI Bill. Yeah. I think in, in, certainly in this part of the country, prior to World War II, that was not the expectation for most people uh, going to college. And the fact that you break that kind of cycle for a lot of Americans, for you know, really middle-class America, uh, and it helps create the middle class like we know it uh, in the post-war years, you do have uh, a, a legacy then, in a sense, that comes generation after generation. So, um, as I mentioned to you before, my father was a veteran in World War II, but he didn't go to college. My father-in-law did, uh, but they are certainly typical of those of those people who probably wouldn't have been likely to have done it had it not been for uh, the uh, the GI Bill. Not only that, but uh, as I think, uh, as I mentioned to you, that we bought our first house, mm-hmm. 1961, on uh, on the GI Bill from uh, my mom's overseas service. And so, not only does it change the landscape academically, but it literally changes the landscape as it creates suburbs and housing that people move into. Yeah, right. And, you know, there are unemployment benefits that help immediately. Uh, I think something that we don't usually think about is the fact that it was, it could be used for all kinds of education. It wasn't just college, but that's what seems to have had the long-term impact. But high school even, vocational school, all kinds of things. And then the uh, the, the housing loan situation, I think, as you mentioned, that's that's a very significant part of the of the benefit that comes out of it and the impact that it has. The GI Bill of Rights was not without its failures because home loans were left to local officials. In the South, black vets were often denied mortgages. Because many universities were segregated, in 1946, only 20% of blacks who applied for educational benefits actually enrolled in college. But the GI Bill would endure and be there for veterans of every war since. Let me tell you the story of a soldier named Dan Went off to fight the good fight in South Vietnam The music would change a lot. This is a little-known but great Vietnam protest song from 1970 by Mick Softly called The War Drags On. Future Wars would introduce us to Agent Orange, PTSD, trauma caused by IEDs. And how America cares for its veterans hasn't gotten any less controversial. There's been scandals at Veterans Administration hospitals. There are some unscrupulous for-profit colleges that prey on veterans' education benefits. And it's impossible to have a national political campaign without hearing about how America must do better taking care of its vets. But here's the thing. 75 years ago, we couldn't even have a debate or a fight because a veteran safety net simply didn't exist. It didn't exist until Harry Comrie put pen to paper in 1944. And then he kind of vanished. The VA put his name on a hospital in Topeka, but that was it. That was it until last summer. On behalf of the American Legion's Department of Kansas, it is an honor to share in this long-awaited, long-deserved recognition. Harry Dubry Comrie, architect of the GI Bill, was the 19th National Commander of the American Legion. He held virtually every office at every level in the nation's largest veterans organization. That's when some American Legion members in Topeka raised $400,000 to build a Comrie statue at 9th and Kansas Avenue in downtown. It's Comrie saluting backed by a relief of service members. The ceremony was captured on video by the American Legion and featured National Commander Dale Barnett. 
on those December nights in 1943 when he handwrote what would later become the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, commonly called the GI Bill of Rights, I'm sure he could not have foreseen its long-term effects. No one could have. He simply went to work, quietly distilling more than 600 bills into 10 key provisions that would give American veterans a fighting chance to succeed when they came home from war. Home from the war, with at least a chance at a home, health care, and an education. And that's Archiver. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodap in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council. Archiver is a co-production of Fountain City Frequency and Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seeland is executive producer. You can see pictures of Harry Colmery and a statue at FountainCityFrequency.com. Hey, if you like the podcast, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. For my favorite Kansas historian, Virgil Dean, I'm Sam Zeff. I'll see you on the next Archiver.